I love it when we just get volunteers in the moment. Isn't that fun? Especially if I've got a microphone, people have to do things. Maybe I should just take this home with me. <laughs> it wouldn't work, would it? It doesn't work on kids. All right. Hey, I am glad that you're here, and we are in week two. Week two of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And we are looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited because I'm learning as we go through it as well. And we're taking kind of a deep dive approach. We made it through, I think, eight verses. I'll really say seven because I want to come back to, to verse eight. But we made it through seven uh, verses and read verse eight. And we talked a little bit about who Mark is, who the author is, why he didn't really may have not written his name at the beginning of the letter, because there was a massive amount of persecution. And we saw some of the themes through the, the scripture and through the gospel of Mark being persecution, one of them. He's preparing the believers in Jesus Christ or those who will become disciples of Christ to realize that the Christian faith isn't always easy. How many of you have been saved for more than five days? Yeah, you've probably been through something then, right? Because uh, I think sometimes we think if we, just, if we just give our life to Christ, if we just follow him, if we just receive salvation, then I'll never struggle with sin again, and then I'll never have anything difficult in my life. And that isn't true at all. And for the longest time, I used to think that maybe the problems I were having were different than everyone else's, and maybe I didn't have real salvation. But then I matured a little, learned a little bit more, read more scripture, and realized even the disciples had issues. In fact, uh, Mark, who is known also as John Mark, he has two names. He has uh, names for different languages that he speaks. But he had an issue, too, within his life and his faith, when he left and went back to Jerusalem and abandoned the missionary trip that he was on with Paul and Barnabas. And so we saw that Paul had issue with Mark, and in fact, he didn't want him to come along at one point. Eventually, they make up because near the end of Paul's life, Paul is asking for Mark to come and visit him because he realizes that he's a true disciple and a true friend. So that should encourage us, too. If the gospel of Mark is in the Bible, then it means we are all given second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chances. Amen? So even if we walk away from the path that we're called to be on, God can call us back and God can restore us. That's why it's so important. When somebody falls and they're a Christian, let's say they get caught in infidelity or they get caught in in leadership corruption, or they get caught in something that they're not supposed to be doing. The first thing we should do is not throw stones at them, but we should pray for them, that God would restore their spirit and their soul. I, I remember somebody told me once that Christians are the only army where we shoot our wounded, and it shouldn't be that way, amen? Now, that doesn't mean they get their leadership position back. It doesn't mean that uh, all is forgotten, but what it does mean is that God forgives, and if we're going to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have to realize this. No man or woman is perfect. And eventually, our sin will find us out, given enough time. And we need to pray that God restores people. Because everybody can be forgiven. Everybody can give a second, be given a second chance. Everyone can repent. Even believers. Amen? 
So I, I fully believe that. If you look throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, you see that. So I, I think leaders should be accountable for their actions. I think churches mess up sometimes. They should apologize, and they should allow God to do the gospel work that he wants to do within their hearts and their lives too. So it's incredibly important that we allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and to examine our motives even, because a lot of the times we don't end up in sin with intention. Sometimes our motives start shifting and going down the wrong path. In Scripture, it says, for the love of money, many will grow cold in their love for God. And that's the fear that I have sometimes, is like, what if I choose comfort over obedience? And I think that may have been what Mark did. So it's these questions that when we look at the Gospels, we have to realize these are real people, amen? We're, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a disciple uh, of Christ, like when they first came to Jesus, that they walked around with the halos we see in the icon art, right? They didn't have those. They were not perfect people. They were real people, just like you and I. Now, God began to do a work with them, and they followed Jesus. And as they did that, they became more and more holy. That means set apart. Holy means set apart for the purpose and use of God. And that's the desire that we all have, that we would be set apart for the purpose and design that we are created for and the action that God wants to use us for. That's why we're still here. So if you ever wonder, well, why don't we just get to, you know, get raptured up into heaven? It's because there's still work to do. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ here and now. That means in your family, with your kids, with your grandkids, with your coworkers, we live out the Christian faith, and we try to show people the way to Jesus. Not that we're great, but that Jesus is great. Amen? You with me? So this is important stuff. So Mark uh, 1.8, before I start preaching a message I didn't plan on, <laughs> we're going to look at uh, Mark 1.8. And so what we see in the beginning of Mark is he, he lays out his whole reason for writing this in verse 1. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he's telling you what he believes. But then from then on, he's really reporting what's happening. He's not trying to uh, tell you, this is what I believe. He's more telling you, this is what I heard. Uh, this is what I, has been told to me, and he's reporting what's happening. So Mark 1.8, this is what happens when uh, Jesus shows up to, to John the baptizer, his cousin. And he becomes baptized by this man. And so uh, John makes an announcement. He's talking about who the Messiah is, and he says, I'm not worthy to be his slave. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. And then he goes on to say this in Mark 1.8. He says, I have baptized you with what? Water. We did that on Easter, right? Remember that? We did the baptism of water for what? That's for the forgiveness of sins. That's what John was doing. Now, when we do baptism, it's not just for the forgiveness of sins. It's to show that we're living this new life and new faith and to do what Jesus did. But he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit? It is God's Spirit that dwells within us and within every believer. And so what he's saying there is what we see in Acts 2.1. Let's look at that verse. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So who is they? That's the early church. It's about 120 people. 
And they're in that building together, in an upper room, in the top of a, a home somewhere most likely. And they're praying because Jesus has told them to gather together and pray so that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. So that's what, they're, they're all together. They're all in one place and they're all unified. How many of you know it's hard enough with like two people and then you add your rest of your family, your kids or your grandkids? How many of you know it's difficult to get unified? How many of you been in a church before that isn't unified? How many of you may have been caught? No. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's not easy. It's so, e it's so easy for everyone to do what they think is right in their own eyes. I was reading through some of the Old Testament verses in our, uh, through the Bible in a year, and, and something that kept sticking out to me is like, and everyone was doing as they saw right in their own eyes, for they had no king. I want you to know that we don't have an earthly man as a king. We have the King of Kings, the Most High God. Jesus Christ is our King. Amen? We don't get to do everything that we think we should be able to do. We do not do everything that is in our own eyes. We do what Scripture tells us to and what Jesus tells us to through His Word. So this is what they're doing. They're all gathered together and they're praying. And this isn't like a five-minute prayer at the beginning of a service. No, this is they're on their knees. They're pleading out to God. And this is a night that they're doing it. The whole night. And then when the day of Pentecost arrived, they're all together in what? One place. What happens next? Let's see. And suddenly, everyone say suddenly. That means quick, right? There came a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is Jesus' prophecy coming true. The Spirit that is in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of power, this comforter, the, the one that brings the anointing is there. The one that cleanses, the one that purifies, the helper is there. John 15, 26 says this, But when the helper comes, who I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness, he will testify all about me. So the Holy Spirit is the one that gives the authority, the power, and the conviction, and the drive for us to go out, the passion for us to go out. He's also the giver of the gifts. So Romans 8, 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. This is how you're to live. You're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to what? Him at all. They don't belong to Christ. So who has the Spirit of Christ in them? Every believer. Every believer has the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, residing in Within them, And then if you go to Acts 19, verse 6, it shows that Paul is laying his hands on believers, and then they receive this. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in what? Other tongues and prophesied. This is so neat, because what happens is God opens up the availability for himself to be imparted to every believer. 
Whereas before in the Old Testament, when you look, you see that, you know, the Spirit came upon them, or the Spirit resided with this one particular person, or when they were judges, or when they were prophets, the Holy Spirit would come upon them, or he would just walk with this one person. They were unique. They were set apart. It's almost like they themselves were forerunners of all of us who get to walk in this. So sometimes I wish I could go back in time and I could be you know, walking with the disciples or I could be talking with King David. The truth of the matter is I would be at a disadvantage to where I am now. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is now indwelling who? Every believer. You, right? How many of you are believers? Is the Holy Spirit within you? Yes, according to the Word of God, He is. Now, does that mean we always listen? <laughs> no. We still, have, we still have this little tug of war going on in our hearts and in our minds. And the, the goal is to listen to the Holy Spirit more and more. The goal is to, to listen. So this is Acts. So we go back to Acts 2, and, and we're going to see the explanation of what happened and why this happened in Acts 2, 14 through 21. If you want to, you know, I know we're not right now in Mark looking verse by verse, but you can write down these little addresses for these verses, and then you can go back and study if you like. Uh, Acts 2, 14 through 21, Peter gets out and he addresses the crowd who think that all these people are nuts and they're drunk early in the morning. Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, I love this, he didn't have a microphone, he shouts, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. No. What you see was predicted long ago by who? The prophet Joel. And if you go back, you're going to see this here too. You see that Isaiah the prophet is quoted before. The New Testament quotes the Old Testament all the time. We don't just chuck the Old Testament out. It tells us sometimes what even hasn't happened yet in our lives. So he says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, everyone say last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon who? All people. Question is, are we in the last days? Are we in the last days? So if the last days were when Peter started talking, meaning that there was the last days then, he said we're starting to see fulfillment of this right now. That's what Peter says later. If that was then, then we're still in the last days when? Now. Okay? So in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. What he's saying is, this is available for everyone. This is for all people. It's for servants. It's for kings. It's for the lowly, the very small, the ones that seem insignificant, the little kids, and it's for the people that have got two more years to live. It is for who? Everyone. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. What else does it say? In those days. Are we in those days? Okay. I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. 
And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, let's read this part together, will be saved. Okay. I, I want to acknowledge how great all of the other stuff is before this, right? You get to walk in this power and this authority. You get, uh, you get this opportunity that, that there are people that are going to be prophesying. There's people that are going to you know, have dreams and visions, and all this is going to happen. But everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. This is even a greater miracle, amen? But listen to me. If this is available to you, once you receive this, that other portion's available to you too. Okay? You're allowed, able, and called to walk in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. You can ask for those things that you saw earlier that we just read about. You can ask that God show you things. You can ask and seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we just read about because he said that you, these are available for people. Now, are you going to have all of those? Probably not. But should the church have some of those? Absolutely. Absolutely. The church needs teachers, amen? The church needs preachers. The church needs people who pray. The church needs people who have dreams and visions. The church needs all of these things because Scripture says these things are for the last days. These things are needed for that. So when we see that uh, John the baptizer is speaking about this, he is actually talking about you and I, and he says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is available for every believer to walk in. It doesn't look the same for every believer, but it is available for every believer to walk in. I think sometimes we have to realize that God has blessed us beyond what we see. That God has given us spiritual gifts beyond what we may know. That God has gifted the church with you. When I read these verses, when I look at Acts, and when I look at uh, the New Testament, what I see is a movement away from worship within the temple only, and from a temple-centric uh, God to a God who walks with his people. And when he walks with his people, he shows off through his people, meaning he has power to change the lives of those around him who believe and who profess and who walk in the Holy Spirit. If you have ever felt that God is speaking to you and saying, go back and help that person, I guarantee you that's the Holy Spirit. Because honestly, like, I don't like to help people. I like to do what I'm doing, right? I've got a plan. But God interrupts my plan through the power of his Holy Spirit. If you've ever felt guilt and known that what you're doing is wrong, that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to listen to it. You need to change your pattern of behavior. You need to adjust to what God is calling you to do. You need to walk in the obedience to God. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit has power. The Holy Spirit gives power to conquer the problems that we face. He gives us power to change and adjust our lives. He gives us power to move forward. He gives us hope. He's the encourager. He's the comforter. He is the one that is ever present with us. I think sometimes we talk about Father and Jesus, and we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit because they're all three equal. Amen? We need all three of them for the work of God to continue. So verse 9 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit, who is the Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit, descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That would have been something to see, huh? Can you imagine being there in that crowd? And having all of a sudden, you know, the sky comes down. He looks a little, okay. John has a conversation with him. It's kind of a strange conversation. And then John finally agrees to baptize this guy. Well, maybe, maybe this is a little strange. John baptizes him, comes up out of the water, and all of a sudden a voice booms out of the sky while something is flying around his head. I wish there were cameras back then. I think that would be all over everything, wouldn't it? A voice coming from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When, when I hear that, I see that God himself, God the Father, is confirming the ministry of Jesus Christ. But also you see the Holy Spirit is doing what too? Because you have the voice of the Father, amen? And then you have the presence of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus in a visible form. If we go back to Acts 2, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, the initial time, with a visible presence. You see that? Jesus is the front runner for the ministry of the Christians as well, those who follow Christ. They're walking in the same path. So you have the visible presence of the Holy Spirit come upon them. And you may say, well, then why don't we get that? Like when we get, I don't know, that'd be pretty cool, right? If I could press a button and we could all do that, I'd love to see that, wouldn't you? You know what I've noticed, though? Is sometimes I'll be in conversation with somebody, or I'll even be watching a YouTube video, and they're like giving me uh, examples of how to fix something that I'm clueless on, right? Or maybe they're a small business owner, and I run into them, and and uh, I'm talking to them for a while, and I look in their eyes, and I, you know, I instantly know how many of you have had this experience. That's a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit confirming something to you. This is somebody who's, who's my child. That's the Holy Spirit. What you're seeing is not them. It's not like they have a special twinkle in their eye they get when they're saved. No. It, what, what you're seeing is the Spirit, your Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's within you, not just your spirit, but the Holy Spirit, identifies with himself. He knows who the believers are. Now, does that mean that person's perfect? No, no, it doesn't mean it. But it means that they're given over to Christ. They're saved. So the Holy Spirit will speak to us. And, and I know there's, there's people, um, there's people that don't, don't believe that some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. And I would still say that they're brothers and sisters in Christ, 
And, and if you're one of those, don't get mad and leave right now, okay? Because uh, I still love you and Christ still loves you, amen? And I would argue that the Holy Spirit is still active in your life because we just saw that every believer has the Holy Spirit, amen? You with me? We're there at least on that level. Then there's some people that believe, they're called cessationists, there's other names for them too, but people that believe that some of the works of the Holy Spirit stopped at a certain age. At a certain time, maybe after the apostles' time on the earth, uh, some of these things were done. Uh, you know, there's not the role of apostle within the church anymore. There's not the role of prophet within the church anymore. There's not the role of, uh, or the gift of speaking in tongues and interpretation and that type of thing. That doesn't exist any longer. And, and I would disagree from personal experience, but also from study. And the reason I would is because I see in Revelation that you have the prophets that are prophesying in Jerusalem. You with me? So they're prophesying in Jerusalem in Revelation at the end of the world that we know of. Like when you think of the end times, when you think of the very end, when you think of just before God creates all things new within the world, before the kingdom of heaven is firmly established and we see it, you have the prophets that are prophesying there. So either uh, cessationists either have to believe that it stops for a while and then it comes back at the end, or, they, uh, or like I believe, is still continuing. Because you know what I see is that we're still in the last days. You with me? If we were in the last days when Jesus was there, and then we we're in the last days when Peter said, hey, this is what's going to happen out of Joel, then we're in the last days now. That's my argument. Now, if, if you're like, well, you're, you don't know what you're talking about, Ben, that's fine. Can we still be friends? None of you want to be my friends. Okay. Well... I love you guys. Oh, thanks, Rich. Rich is my friend. All right. So but, but I want to I point out how important this is. Because if we look at the power of the Holy Spirit is the power for us to bear witness. That's what Scripture says, right? Then... It's deeply important for the preaching of the word of God, for evangelism, and for sharing our faith, and for seeing people saved. It's deeply important. Because it's the Holy Spirit that draws people into Christ. He pursues people. We don't save them. I don't save them. You don't save them. It is Jesus, his work on the cross. It is being drawn by the Holy Spirit. And it is God the Father sending Christ and allowing this all to occur. It requires the Trinity for us to receive salvation. And so we don't want to disavow any of those things. We don't want to disavow any of those things. So we see, uh, and when he came out of the water, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I want to point something out here with this. This is what happens to you when you receive salvation. If your sins are forgiven, then God is well pleased with you. The Father is well pleased with you. How many of you, if you're going to be honest, have difficulty admitting that this is hard to accept? All right. Yeah. 
God looks upon you when you receive salvation and he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is right with God the Father, that is given to us. And because God sees what the Son did on the cross, we are now walking in this. So the guilt of your past sins, the failures within your life that you have received forgiveness from, you are saved from those. And when God sees you, he is well pleased. What, is, what, is, what are we all working towards when we get to heaven? Uh, is we're, work, we're working towards the ability to walk into his presence and, and have God say, hey, good job. Good job. Man, I heard a pastor once, and he, he put it this way, and it just it changed the way I saw God. Because I used to think God's, God knows everything I do wrong. It's true. And he sees all of these things, and he's just waiting to, to light me up with a lightning bolt. You know what I mean? Hello, Moto. He's just waiting for a phone to go off, and he's going to zap. No. This is, this is what God does, is God forgives us completely, amen? And then he sets us on the right path, and he says, here, follow my son. And, and then he says, you're well pleased. And when we get to heaven, if we follow uh, God, and if we do what we're required to do, and what we're doing what we're asked to do, and we're already saved in all of this, when we enter into his presence, he is going to be well pleased. And this, this minister at one point was, was teaching on a missions trip, and he was sharing this story, and it just changed the way I saw, thought about him. How many of you have a refrigerator at home? Good, good, good work. How many of you? Very good. How many of you have a refrigerator that's running? Better go catch it. <laughs> Been hanging out with <laughs> All right, so, <laughs> sorry, rabbit trail. Uh, on the refrigerator, I have, on one side, I have a calendar that gets messed up by the kids all the time, and Emily tries to keep it. And then on the other side, Miss Anita has, like, printed off these magnet pictures, and they're on there. And so we put these different pictures up there. And uh, I put the pictures up of the kids I like in my family. <laughs> and then when they're naughty, I take them down. No, I don't do that, right? I keep the picture up, right? I keep the picture up. Like, if, if they're rotten that day, I don't take them down and say, yeah, I disown you. No. I may joke about them not getting an inheritance, but what they don't know is they're not getting one anyways. <laughs> so I, I don't take it down and put, put it up. That's not what happens. They stay on the refrigerator, amen? Realize that when you receive Jesus... As your savior, you go on God's refrigerator, theoretically. You know, you know, just thinking about it, okay? You are up there. And so when you go do something in his name, maybe he asks you to, to go share your faith. Maybe he asks you to get one of those prayer blankets we prayed over last week and give it to somebody. When you go visit somebody in a nursing home, when you go uh, show up and pray for somebody, even if you feel uncomfortable, all of these things, we know that that gets written in the book of remembrance. We've talked about that before. But it also is it's basically being put up on the refrigerator in heaven. And it's been saying, see, this is what my kids are doing. This is what my kid painted. Isn't it pretty? 
Does it mean it's perfect? How many of you know your kids are not good at art? But you've got to pretend they are. Not anymore. You still got to love them. You still say, hey, good job. You know, it, it, isn't, it isn't perfection you're looking for. It's their heart. If you have their heart and your heart is geared for them and you have this going on, you're in relationship with them. Like, I don't care if some 10-year-old five states away can draw something perfectly. I don't want it. But when my kid hands me a little doodle, I'm like, oh, neat. Why? Because I'm attached to them relationally. They're my child. When you come and receive salvation, you become beloved son, beloved daughter. And you are on that refrigerator. And it's not by being perfect. It's not by the works that you complete that you get up there. It's because you've accepted that relationship. You are adopted into the family of God. Amen. That gets me excited. Because it's so easy to fall into the thing of, oh, man, I wish I had the spiritual gifts of somebody else. I wish I could talk like this person. Or I wish I had this ability over here. And maybe if I just did it this way, God would finally be happy with me. That isn't how God works. Now, does God want you to be obedient? Yes. But Jesus already paid the way through the cross for you to get to him. You're already a son and daughter of the Most High King. That's your identity. That's what you're walking in, and the Holy Spirit is going to confirm that. So uh, I want to show you something here real quick. As we look at 9 through 11, obedience pleases the Father. Obedience pleases the Father. Jesus was obedient to God the Father. That means that maybe we should be obedient too. Amen? Amen? I believe that. So, uh, we see that as soon, this is the account that Mark writes, as soon as Jesus is baptized, we jump to a different scene. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Who is he? Jesus. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And that is all that John Mark says about that. How many of you know there's a little bit more to the story sometimes? If you go back into these verses, you'll see more. Because if you, if you look at the other Gospels, in Luke 4.12, this is what happens. And I don't think we're going to get through all of this, but I do want to point it out. And then we'll come back to this next week. Luke 4.12 says, And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is what's happening out in the wilderness, in the desert place. This is what's happening is Satan is approaching Jesus, and he is speaking to him. He is trying to tempt him. And uh, verse 1, it says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is uh, Luke 4, 12, verse 1, for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing in those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. 
If you then will worship me, worship who? Worship Satan, worship the devil. It will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only shall you serve him. And then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, when he ran out of tricks, he departed from him until an opportune time. Notice that, until an opportune time. What did he have found in that moment was an opportune time, he thought, right? He's going to come at Jesus and try to break him down, try to get him off of mission, try to get him off task. He's going to try to do all of these things. In fact, when you look at this, you're like, well, what would be wrong with Jesus turning something into bread? Didn't Jesus feed multitudes of crowds later in Mark? Yes. Well, what was wrong with that? Well, first of all, it's being obedient to the devil. Don't do it. Amen? If the devil's telling you to do something, best be sure it's not good for anyone. You know, like, well, you know what? Satan has a few good ideas. No. <laughs> no. He's trying to wreck you. He's trying to wreck others around you. Don't listen to him, right? Don't fall into that temptation. So, uh, no, don't, don't make bread. Don't do these things. And then he says, well, I'll give you all of this stuff, and, and, and if you just worship me. No, I am to worship only God. I, uh, you know, throw yourself off of this tall tower and then say, hey, angels, come and save me, and they'll have to save you. Well, they'd have to, but he says, don't test the Lord your God. Don't do this. And, and so notice that Jesus is responding back with Scripture himself. How is he being tempted, though? With Scripture. That's weird, isn't it? How many of you know the devil knows his Bible? You best know yours, too. Because he may be whispering in your ear something, but what he does Every time he quotes scripture, every time he tries to use scripture in the word of God, is he twists it, cracks it, breaks it, and makes it his own. We need to be sure that we don't do that with the word of God when we read it. We also need to be sure that when we read it, we're reading it as God writ, wrote it, as he wants us to intend it. We don't twist verses to fit our needs, our specific desires. We try to look at what God wants us to do and complete that. When I, I, I read through this, when I read through Luke 4, and I see what happens to Jesus during this. I, I see some patterns that are occurring, and I can see some patterns that happen with you and I. Now, I have never been in the wilderness for 40 days without eating. I do not think I would last that long. Jesus did. I didn't. I have not faced the temptations that he faced, but his mission was way, way tougher, right? He had to go to the cross. If the devil can knock him off course, he's going to. Verse, uh, verse 13 says that it was an opportune time when the devil occurred. I'm going to tell you a few times when this will happen to you. Some of you are newer believers. Maybe some of you are not believers yet. This is something, whenever I see someone receive Christ, whenever I see that they come into faith, I try to tell them this. Because, number one, temptation comes when you activate. Always. When you become a believer, you best be prepared that now you have chosen a side. 
You have chosen God's side. You've moved from darkness to light. And when you move to light, guess who sees you too? The enemy. The enemy will try to knock you down. The enemy will try to throw something in your path. The enemy will try to put temptation in your way so that your ministry is lopsided, it's deactivated. I don't think if we succumb to the temptation, uh, we're going to lose our salvation. But what I do believe is that if we succumb to the temptation, it'll move us off course. You with me? It'll move us in the wrong direction. So temptation comes when you activate. And this is true. Let's, let's say you're making a further commitment in Christ. You're already a disciple in Jesus Christ. You've already received salvation. But uh, you're looking at a verse that, like, that we see here that Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Maybe God is calling you to something. Maybe he's calling you to serve your neighbor. Maybe he's calling you to serve a friend. Maybe he's calling you to help somebody out. When you make the commitment to say, I'm going to do that, a lot of times temptation will arise because now you're making a declaration of what you're going to do. Because where faith starts showing up, the devil wants to attack. So the greater your ministry, the bigger target you become. The more you're going to face, and if you look at the disciples, you look at the apostles, you look at the persecution that they went through, it's very true. Temptation comes when you activate. Two, temptation can be internal. Internal meaning like hunger. How many of you know when you're tired and hungry, bad things happen? Come on, guys. Angry, yeah, angry. Well, a lot of times we're worn out. We can go into anger quicker. If we're tired and hungry and if things, you know, what did mama always used to say? Nothing good happens after what? After midnight, after 12, after 1, nothing good happens. Well, why? Because, well, now you're, you're not operating at the full capacity. You're not moving, uh, you know, you're not thinking, and maybe you're a little bit more uh, opportune time for the enemy to attack you. So temptation can be internal. It can be something that's happening within you. It can be fatigue. It could be disease. It could be something that, that's weakening you. But it also can be external. That, that means a demonic activity, others that are speaking to you, things can occur around you that are pushing you in that direction. Both of these things are happening to Jesus when we look at him in the wilderness. He has something internal that's happening. He's tired, right? He, the devil came when he was tired and hungry. But he also has something external that's happening. He's being attacked. Not good. So, and also we see that temptation can be things that seem what? How many of you know that you can talk yourself into sin pretty easily? Seems good. Seems good in the moment. Everyone did what was good and right in their own eyes, right? We don't, we don't want to do that. We have to look to Scripture. It can't be our judgment. It has to be God's judgment. Amen? If you want to know if it's good, you have to get rid of the other O and see if it's God. You have to look at things and see if this is what God intends, if this is really the path and plan for he has for you. And maybe it's a good thing you have to say no to. It's something that God uh, could get you off track. And then number four, here's how Jesus found victory. We find victory by rebuking temptation with what? Scripture. I almost had a five on there too because I want you to see that Jesus was never alone. The angels were there with him. Amen? You know the angels are there to protect you. Amen? You know that God's spirit is within you to protect you, to give you insight. You may say, well, Pastor Ben, I don't know what's speaking to me. Then you need to calm down, stop, and don't do anything yet. And you need to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and show you what is good and what is God. And that you would 
Choose what God has for you. Allow him to speak to you. Amen? How many of you have been through something where it would have been helpful not to make a decision? To pause and allow God? Yeah. We, sometimes we just need to slow down. We need to get back into scripture. We need to pray. We can seek the counsel of others, other trusted believers, friends, and family. We can talk with them. We're not called to go this alone. We can uh, maybe find some food that the devil doesn't want us to eat. We can try to, try to do whatever we can. Maybe you need to take a nap before you make a decision. Maybe you <laughs> someone said amen. Few of you are napping right now. Praise God. You're just so obedient to the word. Sometimes we, we think we want to quit it all, and we think that faith and, and our, our following God isn't worth it, and really what we need to do is chill out and take a nap. You can quit for a moment. Don't quit forever. If you need a rest, you rest. But realize that when we decide we're going to follow Jesus, we are really choosing something. When we get baptized, when we receive salvation, when we say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm learning about this thing called the Holy Spirit, this guy, and he's going to empower me, and I'm going to start walking in this, be prepared to face some battles. Because the Christian faith is not battle-free. Now, Jesus has already won all the victories, amen? You're already getting into heaven. You're all, all this is set for you, but you have to go through the little battles. The war's won. The battle's still here. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that challenges me. Man, when I read it, I see so clearly that I am not where I would want to be, where I'd hope to be. But by God's grace, I'm still a child of God. I'm on the refrigerator. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to walk with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you bring the Holy Spirit to every believer. Lord, I pray that we would function in what you want us to function in, that we would walk in what you want us to walk in, that we would listen to the voice of God and not the enemy. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be active within our hearts and minds, that we would seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that you would allow uh, your spirit to, to come fresh into our hearts and our minds, that we would uh, turn that volume up on on him and that we would hear from him daily that we would get in the word and he would show us things and that we would go out into the world and he would show us things and that you would help us to discern what is right and what is wrong because it is confusing sometimes and if we rely upon our own understanding we're going to fall down but we need to rely upon yours Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that has not received the Holy Spirit, meaning that they are not saved, that you would call them closer by your Spirit, that you would draw them and then they would pray that prayer of, God, help me. God, I repent of my sin. Lord, I need you in my life. Please forgive me. I believe that you rose from the dead, Jesus, and I want you to live with me and I want to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, when we pray that and when we mean it and when we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. For those of us that haven't heard the voice of God for a while, even when we're in the Word or when we're out and about, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us up, that we would sense that presence in Jesus' name. 
that we would have an overflowing of the Spirit of God so that wherever we go, people would say that is one of the children of God and only God can do what is happening around them. Lord, I thank you for that blessing. And I also realize that with that blessing comes the difficulty of the battles that we face. Lord, help us not to give up, not to fall into temptation, but to use scripture, the power of God, and even the example of Jesus Christ to rise up and walk out of it. Lord, give us that strength today. Lord, we thank you that we're on that refrigerator. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are proud of us, that we are your children. Help us to realize that and accept it, believe it, and walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray.